And he looked me in the eyes and he was like, don't you ever do that again. I am the worst daughter-in-law to be. You know this, but I used to be a hundred pounds heavier. You yeah. know, I grew up a fat kid. I grew up fat. R-O-T-N, let, let me, me present, present to you. you the Rotten Podcast. The Rotten Podcast. How do you want me to say it? Rotten. Are we back for another episode? We're back for another episode of the Rotten Podcast. Whoop. Hello, hello, hello. So we forgot a couple of things to do in the last episode. We were a little nervous. So to get over our nerves a little bit, we have something special happening. What is it? It's a shot of tequila. It's you, a shot. You planned this tequila shot like months ago. I know. I was like, we need to, we need to make sure our nerves are settled. We got to get a shot of tequila or vodka or whatever. And both Matt and I just love tequila over both? anything. Both, <laughs> both Matt and I just love tequila over anything else. But you have a very hard time handling your I alcohol. I am the most lightweight person you will ever meet. I have a really funny story that I can share. But with that being said, let's take a shot of 818. 818. It's weird that we don't even have proper shot glasses at our house. This is a candle <laughs> holder. That is how you know we just don't drink a lot at our house. It's true. I'm just not much of a drinker and you aren't either. Maybe some whiskey here and there. Yeah, but shots, not that often. You ready? All right, what are we cheersing to? We are cheersing to an incredible first episode of Rotten and an even better second episode of the Rotten Podcast. Let's go. Is it Really quick, is this going to be a weekly occurrence where we take a shot of tequila? Or is this just a one-off special occasion? Um, it might be weekly. It depends on how fucking red I get because I am full ass Asian and I get full ass Asian glow. Thank God I have like 17 layers of makeup on my face right now. So we will see. All right. Yeah. Let's do the shot. All right. Cheers. cheers. Doesn't even need a chaser. Wow. That is so good. That was really good. Wow. She's sweet. That is sweet. She? It is sweet. Don't assume genders. Yeah, we're living in 2022. You can't. Someone told me that anymore. on Twitter in our NFT project. They're like, "Did you just assume my gender?" I I mean, it definitely matters, but when you're saying it in that condescending tone, like, "Fuck you." I know it was a guy that represented himself as a man. He was mm -hmm. just trying to like be a smartass, get at me somehow, and thought I would fold to the question of, <laughs> "Are you assuming my gender?" Well, with that being said, let's we're not assuming each other's gender. I'm clearly a woman and you're clearly a male. And, you know, besides knowing that about us, we did not do a very good job introducing ourselves in the last episode. So should we introduce ourselves properly? Yeah, and let's give a little context for the people. So we're filming this a little bit ahead. What's the date? It is the 23rd, I believe, of October. 24th. I oh, my, oh 25th. 25th. Holy shit. Wow. It is almost November. 23rd is Donna's birthday. She just turned 60. Your mom? Yeah. Why didn't you tell me? You didn't know. You, uh, how am I supposed to know when your mom's birthday? I didn't even tell her happy birthday. I am the worst daughter-in-law to be ever. Are you kidding me? I would tell you if it was my sister's birthday. You know I do. I was, yeah. <laughs> okay, so we're starting off this episode mad at Matthew. Donna, oh, if you're Lord, watching this, I am so sorry happy birthday you know she actually um i was talking to her the other day and she was like yeah i really want to pick tiffany's brain about 
you know, her investment property. Like, I love that stuff. Obviously, my mom yeah. does a lot of interior design work and She's incredible. other stuff. But mm-hmm. she really wanted to, like, talk with you about how that was going. And um, yeah. so I'm sure if you just FaceTime her, she'll I'll be so happy. Also, I would love to pick her own brain as well with, like, the paint things because... She's a color expert. She's literally a color expert. My mom's like, this is the color of the year, da-da-da, like, all these undertones and this. And I'm like... That's pretty cool. I mean, not that anyone is wondering, but if you guys are wondering what color this is, this is the color jacket in Roman clay at Portola Paints based in Los Angeles. They make incredible paints. Also very expensive. I think this was like $600 worth of paint. <laughs> Someone went over budget. No, barely. Yes. Barely. Barely. You gave me $3,000 to spend on this entire set. And you know what? I did a credible job for what only I said, going $500 above. Well, yes, you obviously did an amazing job, but you were like, what should the budget be? And I was like, I don't know. 3000 Yeah. It was just like throwing it out there. And then you're like, I tried to stay in the budget. And had I known you were, you know, taking the budget so seriously, which is a great thing. It looks amazing. Well, with that being said, I feel like Matt and I did such a bad job explaining who we were in the last episode. And the reason why I wanted to start this podcast is both Matt and I have these incredible backstories where we're so opposite in the way we grew up. And I've always, always been so fascinated by the way you grew up because it wasn't anything similar to how I did. I mean, I didn't grow up in any you know, unique scenario. I think I grew up in a very privileged scenario, which Mm -hmm. I guess is unique, like some 1% shit. Um, (laughs) But like I was saying in the last episode, you don't really realize until you get older, but really quick, like, did you know when you were growing up as a kid, oh, I'm growing up with less than most people? It definitely registered later on. I didn't realize I was poor because, you know, it's context. You need context for yeah, everything. Circumstantial. Mm-hmm. So when all of my friends were also poor, we just didn't notice. See, but- mine was the opposite. I grew up in Northbrook. I said that last time. Very, very upper middle class suburb of Chicago. My dad made a good amount of money in the stock market growing up. So they were doing additions to the house. You know, we didn't do too many elaborate, crazy things. And I grew up with three other siblings. So when you have a bunch of younger kids, you don't really you know, travel that much. Mm -hmm. But what happened when the, when the stock market crashed is my dad like literally ran out of money and we went from like my dad making really good money to my dad making no money. Do you have an idea of how much he was making when he was making good money? Was it like mid six figures? Was it low six figures? I mean, you guys had a boat, which I think is like the epitome of having money in my head. I think it's the culture. So In Chicago, obviously, there's Lake Michigan. There's like, you know, having a summer home and having a lake is very Mm -hmm. privileged. But there's a lot of people around me growing up that had that. We never had a lake house or anything like that. And if you think about it, boats, my dad was so crafty and makeshift. He probably got this boat for like, you know, he found it on Craigslist, like, you know, negotiated some deal. So I'm not saying it wasn't expensive, but we're probably talking anywhere from like eight to twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, I mean, my dad, I think at one point he was making upwards of $400,000 a year. Wow, that's incredible. When you have a family of six, you know, like you can't survive where we grew up. I don't think for less than like six figures. So anyways, I think that was like on the higher end, you know, like that was maybe like one or two years. Yeah. And then when the stock market crashed in 2008, all the money we had saved for school, he had to start dipping into that because he wasn't making any money. And by the time when I was in high school, I was a sophomore junior in high school we just we had no money like i remember having an ebt card which is is, which is food stamps but my mom was so embarrassed to use it 
you know, like when we would at the store, she would like look around and she would like make sure that people weren't paying attention. It was very self-conscious growing up about our financial situation. Like where I grew up is like mean girls. Yeah. Mean girls started in Chicago where like your guys' school system is. I think it was filmed at Nutrier, but regardless, it was that very keeping up with the Joneses, Mm -hmm. you know, watching your neighbor. What does your neighbor have type of mentality? And I just remember when I was in high school, we had no money. Like I didn't have money for lunch. Like there was a time where my dad had money for me. Yeah. And then there was a time in that critical stage where there's no money. There's no money for you to like make a sandwich. So this happened when you're pretty old then. 2008, you were what, 16, 17? Yeah. So it must've been really difficult for you to have the first 16 years of your life being pretty damn well off. And then all of a sudden at 17, you're going through EBT and food stamps. So what was the first sign you realized that your guys' family was in trouble? I think there was just a lot of little things. Like my mom was always stressed about money. You know, Even when, before 2008? I think so. Okay. And this is more of a deeper conversation about people's comfort level with finances and money. But I feel like she grew up very stressed about money or at least raising us. It was always like some big concern. Or when we were at the grocery store, we were at a store. She's like, Ugh. I just always remember that when it was time to pay, it was stressful and it was kind of like, like she was yeah. very hyper aware of everything yeah. she was spending on. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is that I'm surprised she acted that way because your mom's side of the family also comes from money. I've seen your grandma's house. Like it feels yeah, like my- an estate. It's not an estate, but it's such a beautiful, magnificent house that it feels mm-hmm. like, Oh yeah. People who live here have money. Yeah. My grandpa, He's an entrepreneur. He started his own health insurance company and they did very, very well. My grandpa passed in 2001. So he's, you know, he's been gone for a while, but my grandpa and my grandma, those two, they have a very healthy relationship with money. They've known how to invest it. They've known how to make it. They've known how to keep it, you know? So I've always looked up to my grandma. I realized as I've gotten older, she's been sort of like the wise owl. I haven't- Rosemary. Yeah, Rosemary is a very (laughs) sweet woman. Back to growing up. Yeah, like I think one of the signs was my dad always did a really good job of being involved. So like growing up, it was like- I love that. He like put me in Taekwondo and then he- Wait, whoa, 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 wait. You've taken Taekwondo? I didn't get past a white belt because <laughs> Wait, when I, I when I was a kid, I think I was in third grade. I like made fun of a kid at school and I got in trouble and I'll never forget when he came home and he looked me in the eyes and he was like, don't you ever do that again. And he ripped our Taekwondo. We did it together. It was like me and him oh. and he ripped it in front of my face and he was like, we're no longer doing this. That would break my heart as a kid. So you really must have fucked up. What did you do to this kid? I just like made fun of her. Oh, it was a girl. Was Did a you girl. have a crush on her? Or? No, 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 no. <laughs> oh, you're a bully. But, I mean, you're in third grade. Yeah, nobody I was knows a bully what's going in third on. grade as well. Don't worry. Yeah. I'm sure we'll get into more of that we'll stuff. We'll get into but that. He also put me in guitar lessons and he was always just like, you know, testing stuff out, wanted us to do stuff and see what we gravitated towards. And then in sixth grade, I picked up the drums and I eventually like convinced my parents after a year that I was like serious about it. Cause at this point my dad's like, all right, you guys keep starting and stopping things. I'm done with this. So I had to convince my parents to like, let me take drum lessons. And then in eighth grade, not even a year later, I remember my mom and my dad telling me like, Hey, we can't afford drum lessons anymore. And that was like the first time where I was like, Oh, I see how this is like actually affecting the things that I want to do in my life. But this was before the financial crisis yeah. when you were in eighth grade. So yeah, 
you guys struggled a little bit before the financial crisis, I'm guessing. Yeah. You must have. Yeah. Well, I grew up completely opposite, as you <laughs> know. Um, and I touched a little bit about it on the last week's episode of the podcast. So I grew up in Broderick in Section 8 housing in the projects. Like, it's considered the projects if it's Section 8 housing. I didn't know any better. Like, I, of course, enjoyed my time. But I do remember we always had free meals growing up at school. And I would be like one of the few people that had that. Luckily, it was a situation where you couldn't tell who had a free lunch or not because they would just put your code in and either you had money in your account or you didn't. Like everyone kind of went through during the housing bubble, we bought a house when I was in second grade that was way above our means. So it felt like at the time, like, oh my God, like we're doing well. Like we're living in a big two-story house. That's 2,500 square feet. Every single one of us have our own bedroom. And before second grade, me and my sister, so three of us total would share one bedroom in a two-bedroom apartment with my grandma and my uncle. I had the weirdest upbringing growing up. So I was born in Sacramento, but right after I was born, I lived in New York City with my mom and my dad, and they left both my older sisters back at home in Sacramento with my grandma. And I don't know if this is common in other cultures, but in Asian culture, it is somewhat common to have uh, grandkids living with their grandparents and parents just like going off and making money and like sending it back home and stuff. So I grew up the first three or four years of my life being an only child. And then my parents divorced when I was in kindergarten or like four or five years old. And so I moved back to Sacramento with my sisters and they hated me straight up. Because I went from being an only child to like this new kid with my two older sisters and my two older sisters were very jealous. And I remember them telling me this, that they were forced to send their favorite toys to me in New York City. So I would get their toys. I was also the only kid hanging out with my parents. They were like not with my parents. So when I came back, they were very upset at me and took it all out on me. So actually I was bullied by my sisters when I was in like first, second, third grade. And me and my sisters all shared one room. And then next we went to a four bedroom house, two stories. Each of us had our own rooms. It was amazing. But very quickly after that, I realized we could not afford this house because that's what my stepdad and my mom would just fight about constantly was money, 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 money. And I remember when I was in fourth grade, my sister Tree loved her to death, but she was not very aware of our financial situation. And me growing up, I was always very aware and hyper aware of other people's emotions. But I remember my sister asked for $20 from my mom and she was in sixth grade at the time. And my mom looked at her and was like, so stressed out giving her 20 bucks like visibly so stressed out but still like looked in her bag and gave her 20 dollars and I remember looking at that moment being like I am never asking my parents for money ever again I'm never gonna ask them for anything ever again and I actually stuck to that goal since I was in like nine years old which is crazy fast forward I was not aware of how broke I lived until I went to UCLA and I joined a sorority And every single one of my sorority sisters had parents that were together. I was maybe the only girl or person in my friend group that had divorced parents. They all just lived extremely wealthy lives. They lived in Torrance or the Pacific Palisades or Orange County and like the like nice areas of Orange County, like Huntington Beach. As of right now, as 29 years old, I'm very proud of how I grew up. But me at 18, 19, 20, 21, trying to make new friends and comparing my life to other people's. I was so ashamed that I grew up poor and I would kind of lie about my situation. But yes. That's really interesting that you say that because I remember being in high school and I also just felt 
like embarrassed. I remember my friends would be like, yeah, just have your parents pay for it. And in my head, I'm like, <gasps> my, they would say that my, my parents aren't going to pay for anything. My dad never was just like, here's money. Here's this. Mm-hmm. You know, he was always vi- my dad is work ethic is insane. Just never. I've never really seen him just Relax. lounge around. <laughs> it's crazy. He just doesn't sit around. My parents were very clear. If there's things you want to do, like get a job. Yeah. Like I'm not just going to start giving you money for anything. Mm-hmm. You want new clothes? Get a job. You want to go to a concert? Get a job. So I remember I always worked. I always tried. And I had a couple friends that were working at this restaurant called Tonelli's. They were 14. They got like a worker's permit and they were working there. I was like, hey, is there a way I can get a job? So like I applied. And ever since that moment, that was like my first job where I was like working the window, cutting up onions, helping like portion things out, sweeping and mopping. And then from there, I just took on so many jobs growing up and like always saved my own money and always paid for things myself. You know, even gas in the car, it was like, yeah, you want to drive around with your friends? Like pay for it yourself. I do remember you telling me that at one point when you moved to LA, you were just eating beans and you were living off of nothing. Oh yeah. I mean, there was many times where I just didn't have money for anything. Like Mm -hmm. literally I remember taking like a screenshot of my bank account. It was like 25 cents and I couldn't (gasps) even afford chips. Do you still have a screenshot? Probably on my old phone. No, it's definitely on my phone. Yeah. Yeah. I remember being like, this is my circumstance right now, but like, I know I'll never be in this situation again. And this is just a moment in a memory. And here we are talking about it. Um, But yeah, I vividly, like when I moved out here, it was like paycheck to paycheck, taking odd jobs, doing photo, video, whenever I could. The stories that I have about like some of these odd jobs I would find on Craigslist, I would literally like work at like the Hollywood Bowl dressed in an Oompa Loompa outfit, like on like Halloween, like giving out flyers to people, anything I could to make money. When we first dated, you had multiple jobs. Mario and I always talk about this. Like we spent so many years just checking for checks. We called it. We're checking for checks. We just literally go to the mailbox and be like, did the client Mm. like send the check? Like so much was always riding on these checks, paying our bills, going to the grocery store, checking for checks. Like, did the check come? Did the check come? And I remember one time a check came and it was only for like 150 bucks or 200 from like a random job. But when you only have $30 or at this time I had like, I think I had $7 in my bank account and I got like a $210 check. I was like, yes, I was so excited. I cashed the check. I longboarded down Ventura to Ralph's. I go, I'm literally like smiling, like packing so my car. You like, have money. yeah, like, and by the way, my grocery runs were like $35. Very, How long did that last you for? Was that I tried to make sport? it like a week, week and a half. Oh. Okay. You know, I, w- I would try to stretch it. And like, health is very important to me. You know, I'd buy a bunch of vegetables, I'd buy eggs, I'd buy tofu, I'd buy like, you know, lean meats. And I was never like spending it on like chips or anything like that. So it was like, Oh, sweet. Like I have zucchinis and pumpkin seeds and eggs and rice and I'm going to like make this like bowl of vegetables and shit like that. And I go to check out and it was like insufficient funds. And I'm like, what the hell? I cashed this check. Yeah. And a lot of times what when I would cash my check with Chase, they'd automatically make like 100 or 200 available right now Mm -hmm. for you. But that didn't happen. And I was planning on like. So what did you do? Well, I was planning on Ubering back home with all my groceries Because I would do Uber Express pools, which is like you meet up at a place and do a shared ride with someone. Mm -hmm. I just remember like going home empty handed. And I think I just like kind of like stashed a few things from the uh, the like uh, the bulk section. Not I wouldn't I didn't steal anything, but I would kind of like be like, "Mm, I'm going to try this. Oh, yeah. Like, let me try some of these. And I just remember like kind of getting full 
off of that and was just like, damn, I'm going to have to come back tomorrow. That makes me want to cry thinking about that. I remember having food insecurities. On top of that, my parents did not really cook for me that often. Like I would actually make my own meals. And so I grew up actually pretty malnourished because I just never really ever cooked for myself. And to this day, I'm so mad at myself for like never feeding myself properly, even though that was not my job when I was six years old. And who, who makes sure... That you eat normal food. <laughs> you. You have the most bizarre food schedule to be like, you won't eat until four o'clock and you'll make I just don't get packaged instant I'm ramen. And I'm like, we got to figure this yeah, out. Yeah, I here. was going to say when you were like $35 a week, I was like, I would eat like a king because I just barely, eat. I just don't get hungry that often. And what I do enjoy eating is like cheap 50 cent ramen because that's what I grew up on. I've always known that like, yeah, spending like $35, $40, I'm sure I could do this like way more inexpensive. Did you ever try going to food for less or like, you know, those like really, really inexpensive. The thing is I didn't have a car. Did you ever clip coupons? I didn't. Uh, This is how you know you grew up with some money because you never clipped coupons and me making like six figures a year, I still clip coupons. Yeah. Like, You're funny about that. I still yeah. cut the little coupons I get every Sunday. I feel like every coupon I get is like not anything that I want. Like There needs to be better coupons. True. I've definitely bought things I don't care for because I have a dollar off coupon for it. But I somehow utilize it at some point in some way. But really quick, wrapping that up, like the reason that food was important to me and to make sure that I was like buying vegetables. And by the way, you can eat healthy for cheap. There's like a misconception that is always being told like, Oh, eating healthy is like so expensive. It's like, no, if you, do you know how it's like, you know, the beans are healthy. They're like 69 cents or like a dollar a can rice, quinoa, vegetables, very inexpensive eggs. And of course meat is like more expensive, but regardless where I'm going with it is health has always been so important to me where I always was like, I'm going to spend a little bit more money on my health or like good quality food. I'm going to do it because health is wealth. And I know that maybe I'm paying a little bit more now, but I'm saving myself so much more money in the future for diseases that can be prevented. And also, you know this, but I used to be a hundred pounds heavier. You know, I grew up a fat kid. I grew up fat. Like I grew up eating a lot of preservatives, quick meals. What Mm -hmm. ages were you when you were like, very overweight ever since like maybe third grade i noticed that i was like a little heavier than people Mm -hmm. i always just felt like oh i'm like not like everybody else you know same thing in junior high even in high school without a doubt how much was your heaviest if you don't mind me asking i think it was like 270 270 so if you've like, you're like one, like 70 something now so you've lost well i actually weighed myself today 176.6 yeah. Matt is currently trying to lose weight right now and I don't like it because I think you look amazing. So you're always going to say that either way. Yeah. I had to learn how to eat healthy and cook for myself through doing my own research. That was so big for me. That is such a, an important part of who I am. You know what I'm saying? Like health and like weight loss and keeping the weight off. Like people don't realize it's keeping off like weight that you've, that you've lost is so much harder than losing weight in general. Yeah. In people, and I've seen it throughout the past 10 years. Yeah, it's what been was over your 10 years. As an adult, I was like 148. <gasps> was this when you couldn't afford groceries? No, this is just when I was 20 years old, just like working out every day, <laughs> running, doing sit ups, doing push ups, doing pull ups. Yeah. And I was eating so clean. That's where I was going with it is I remember like, like doing my own research, like, how do I lose weight? Like, no one was helping me, no one was telling me. You know, which is crazy, but 
I remember doing a ton of research and at the time it was maybe like 2011, 2010, like right after I graduated high school and organic wasn't a thing. Like now the world of like organic and whole foods is so commonly known and like, but at the time it was so taboo. It was like, you're going to that weird grocery store to eat organic. Like what's that? You know, Mm -hmm. what is quinoa? I'm just going to stop you and say right there that there are so many contradicting research on everything, right? Mm -hmm. So I, to this day, just don't believe anything I hear about food anymore because there was a time where it was like, don't eat meat, meat's bad for you. But then Mm -hmm. there's the liver king who all he does is fucking eat meat and he looks incredible. And there's like the vegans and there's like people who are keto and like the people who are low fat Atkins diet. So like the no preservatives, preservatives. And now there's even conversations about like organic is not better. Well, organic is definitely better. The question is, is it actually organic? Look, I I don't want to get into this um, just because I do know like a lot of people have such strong opinions about their own diets to the point where I was not allowed to eat shellfish. I was not allowed to eat pork because in the Bible it says that pork and um, any sort of animal that is a land animal that does not th- throw up or have split hooves, you cannot eat. They're they're considered dirty, dirty animals. And shellfish, you could not eat shellfish. It was only animals in the sea that had gills and scales. I grew up thinking pork is bad. Pork is bad. Until I started cooking it for you. And Come you to believe just, yeah. pork is fucking delicious and also one of the leaner meats. Like yeah. A pork chop is leaner than a chicken breast, mm-hmm. I believe. Pork chop, I think, is a bit fattier. Okay, yeah. But there's pieces of pork that are- Yeah, like pork tenderloin and pork yeah. loin for sure. But let me talk about this because I've done so much research and I've had so much experience with- diet, with health, with food. And I could say after an 11 year, really my whole life, but the past 11 years of being dedicated to dieting and trying new things, like I've gone through everything from a no carb diet, diets of just eating superfoods. I've gone through, you know, being a vegan. I've been a vegetarian. I've been a fruitarian. We've done keto. Like I've tried so many things and I feel like it's so important for people to try things before they can really speak on what's good or what's not good for them because you don't know. Everybody is different, and that's what I've learned. Vegan is not good for everybody. You know, I used to think vegan will save the world, uh, eating less meat will save the world, but I love meat. I think meat is so good for you. It's one of the most nutrient-dense things you can eat for your body. It's where we evolve from. I will say that I understand why people are against eating meat because of the unethical business practices, which is a total different situation. Mm-hmm. It's, it's disturbing. Like, you know, when you watch a video and you see how these chicken or cows are being treated, it is really, it is really fucked up. I understand why people don't want to eat meat, but I do think that meat is definitely really good for your body. But again, where I'm going with it is every human being is different. Vegan might work for some people. Vegetarian might work for some people, but it doesn't work for everyone. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, but I, I mean, yes, you have to definitely try different diets to figure out what works for you, but I don't think dieting in general is a healthy thing. And this is coming from someone who had disordered eating, who had binge eating habits, who's also been orthorexic as well. And I don't think, you know, like people who think eating healthy is the way that's considered orthorexia, where you're so obsessed with making sure everything you eat is clean. It becomes a very disordered way of eating. So for me growing up, having insecurities with my own body. Um, I'm so proud of the way I've grown up today because now I don't have disordered eating habits. I'm, I am just so much more confident in myself. But the reason I'm bringing this up is because there is no right or wrong way to eat. And I'm saying this as someone who just got my physical four months ago, my doctor was like, you are doing amazing. You're so healthy and I don't eat healthy. 
mm-hmm. catch me on a Friday eating junk food all day, boba, pizza. Well, what I'm saying is, and it works for you to a degree for sure. And again, that's, everyone's different. Like if I adopted your lifestyle and your diet, it wouldn't work for me. And it's working for you in a certain way for sure. But how much healthier could you be if you didn't do some of the things you were doing? That's all that I'm saying. But if I'm so hyper aware of making sure I eat healthy, that's disordered. I can't, I can't say this is healthy, this is not healthy, because then I start attributing those things as like, oh, I have to avoid that completely. And that's actually what started my orthorexia. And that's actually what started my binge eating habits. A lot of people, unfortunately, have assumed that I, when I say that I have an ED and trigger warning, we are talking about, you know, disordered eating right now. Everyone always assumed that I was anorexic because I'm so small, right? But no, like when I actually struggled with an ED, it was binge because I would not allow myself to eat candy. And I am, to this day, still addicted to candy. I love sweets. I love like things that are bad for you. And I would actually, for a whole month, did not allow myself to eat anything bad. It was a pact that I had with my roommate at the time. I remember I walked in on her because we were roommates and best friends. I walked in on her eating a bag of fucking Oreos. And I go, Amy, (laughs) that was so loud. And she was like, what? I was like, what are you doing? She was like, I've actually been eating bad, but you've been so good that I just haven't told you. And that night, I ate 17 brownies. I remember I had so much junk food that night because I couldn't stop. I had been withholding this from myself for so long that I went hard. Because if I do anything, I go hard at it. And that started the feeling guilty, then hiding the fact that I was binging on stuff. So I live in a sorority house. We had our own personal chef. And this guy made just really good desserts. And so I binge ate all his desserts every single night and I would hide it. I would sneak it up upstairs. I would eat it in the bathroom. I would, I remember one time we we're in the kitchen and there was fucking angel food cake with the strawberries and the whipped cream and everything. You love angel food cake. <sighs> so good. And I made myself a little plate And Vivian, one of the girls that was living in my sorority house walked in. And I remember the first thing I did full plate of angel food cake. I stuck it in the sink. She left the kitchen. I took it out of the sink and started eating it. I was like embarrassed to eat unhealthy food in front of other people because I was putting categories on food, healthy, unhealthy. Right. And so that's I why have very strong opinions about this. That's fine. If you have strong opinions on it, but it, I disagree with you. I don't think people should label well, things as healthy or unhealthy. I don't think everything should be generalized, but I think that it's totally okay. If people don't want to eat unhealthy foods, you know, if they're trying to like live longer, they believe in, in healthy eating. It's a lifestyle. Like I understand that. I but do, the, but I where I'm going moderation. with it, yes, and that's where I'm going is restricting things is not healthy. That's with anything, and I believe that, and that's what I've learned. Don't restrict yourself from having a burger. If you don't want to eat burgers all the time, don't. It's okay to eat, want to eat healthy and eat clean because maybe you feel better. Maybe your goals are to be as optimized as possible, and also on top of that, food plays a big role in how you feel. I also believe that. So I believe that if you are making conscious decisions to eat clean, trying to eat organic, or at least getting from a source that you know is clean, it's going to make you feel better. And that's fine. It's all about feelings. If eating healthy makes you feel good, great. But if eating healthy makes you want more food on top of that, if having a bar of chocolate will make you happier than eating 12 sticks of celery with ranch, fucking go for that chocolate bar because you're going to feel unsatisfied, right? It's all about like satisfaction. Like, yes, if healthy foods makes you feel satisfied and you genuinely love healthy food, go for it. But 
like you said, don't restrict mm-hmm. yourself. And I also have always had an eating disorder. You don't become 100 pounds overweight by not having one. And that's something that I still deal with, you know, which is binge eating, which is having an unhealthy relationship with food. And a lot of what you're saying is true. And you're someone that I met that I'm like, you actually have the most healthy relationship with food I've ever met with anyone I've spent I'm substantial glad you time that with. Because a lot yeah. of people don't believe me when I say no, this. No, you do. You, you're you always down to eat whatever. You never are feeling like, I can't eat that. It's unhealthy. Or you're always welcoming healthy food. You know, you'll pretty much eat whatever is in front of you, but you don't have an unhealthy, like you know how to stop yourself when you're eating too much or when you're full. You eat so slow. You're the slowest eater I've ever met. Way too slow. I to the point where I'm like, you need to start eating first, which is what I always say. I'm like, start eating now, start eating now, because yeah. I know I'm going to be waiting for you either way. Aren't you happy you get to wait for me then? Because you always get to eat my extra food. If I ate so fast, <laughs> I would finish my food and you wouldn't get any of the extras. That's true. I always know now. <laughs> like I'm getting a little of this burger too. <laughs> I also think it's okay for people to go in stages. You yeah, know, it's like it's okay process. to go through a stage where you're like, I'm going to cut out everything because I'm going to go through this three month period where I'm going to lose 20 pounds and feel good. And then I can slowly start bringing, bringing things back into my... See, I think that's unhealthy. I don't think so. Sometimes you go through different periods and stages in your life where you need to almost like shelf shelf certain things and be like, okay, for the next 90 days, I know that I'm doing X, Y, and Z. Because but your goal... you're kind of promoting saying like three months lose 20 pounds. I'm only doing this for three months. You're kind of promoting like diet culture, which I don't think is healthy at all. I think it should be a lifestyle change. No, no, no. Okay. So that is a really, really good point. I don't think that people should go through a period where they're like, I'm going to cut everything out and then I'm going to bring it back in an unhealthy way. I'm saying that I think it's okay if you have a goal that you dedicate however much time to getting that goal, whatever that takes. But overall with with weight loss and keeping the weight off, which is something that is so hard for people, mm-hmm. which is so hard for me. I've spent, even after I lost all the weight, I spend so much time trying to keep my weight off. And I'm saying that I'm learning throughout that process. And I feel like I've gotten to a pretty good place. Like it's not perfect where I have to like, you know, count my calories and I have to like intermittent fast, which I enjoy all those things. Those things make me happy because they allow me to actually not restrict what I eat. And so that is the punchline right there. It's find a way where you don't have to restrict what you eat. Maybe you just have to be stricter about how much you're eating or when you're eating, but don't withhold certain things from your diet. And if you could start to incorporate that into your lifestyle more and more, that's a healthy way to live. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think we are seeing, and this is like so fun. And this is why we started this podcast because we do have differing opinions and views and lifestyles and the ways we grew up because yeah, for me, I I don't believe in restricting anything. I believe having a little bit of everything to satisfy that little hunger. That's always going to be in the pit of your stomach. If you don't get what you want, unless it's something that's truly bad for you. Like if you are an alcoholic or you like drugs, like Stay away from those things. But when it comes to like food and healthy eating habits, I believe more than anything, just listening to what your body wants and needs and eating until you feel full. But I guess like with that and like having like a food disorder and growing up with people that do because there's so much shame attached with like eating what you want. Like, oh, if I eat this like cookie or whatever. Exactly why having saying things are healthy versus unhealthy is so bad. That's why I don't believe in saying a cookie is bad. No, a cookie is sugar, carbs, chocolate. Like it's, it's, it's in the basis of it. It's carbs, fat, and maybe protein. Right. 
Just think of it that way. It's it's all, it really is all about calories in versus calories out. And I know you hate when I say that. Calories in versus calories out if you're trying to lose weight or keep a certain goal. But not all calories are the same, nor do they have the same impact. You need more protein if you want to build muscle. I totally understand Yeah, but if you're eating like a thousand calories worth of cookies for three years and you're not like gaining weight because you're staying under your calories, you're still going to be an unhealthy person. It could have long-term implications. Yes, but I, I'm not saying the person itself is healthier versus unhealthy. I'm saying the actual food is that healthy or unhealthy. And I think we shouldn't stick food categories onto things. Yeah. No, I agree. And, and I'm coming from a standpoint of like, I think when you're like addicted to something or you have an unhealthy behavior, a lot of it is sometimes like survival mm-hmm. in, in a way where it's like, I'm going to feel so bad and shameful if I eat this cookie Versus if I restrict myself, I'm going to feel better. I'm going to feel happy. And I think as you're like going through this process, you need to, it's almost like you need to get a certain amount of wins under your belt so you can start to incorporate those things back in a healthy way. But I just know what it feels like to feel so ashamed of yourself and feel like, yeah, maybe it's really unhealthy to like label this thing bad, but I know that I'll feel so much better if I don't eat it and cutting it out. And it's a it's like an unhealthy cycle for sure no, that I you know. have to it, learn how to break. That is literally you know? a cycle. You're saying Absolutely. you're feeling shame for eating something unhealthy because it's labeled as unhealthy. It's literally a cycle that we need to get out of. And let's just get out of this conversation because I think we've kind of delved into it. We can go on and on and on about like disorder. And, and maybe we and- should have like a dedicated episode if people are like curious or find value in it. Like I don't, I've never really like openly talked about this. And every time I hear someone talk about having an eating disorder, it always like lights me up or I feel like I want to connect. You with want them. to talk about it, yeah. but there is um, a negative to actually talking about it. If you talk about like the specific things you did, because this is actually, I know we just said we wouldn't talk about this, but my binge, my purging started because another girl in my sorority was talking about her purging and how she used to purge, which is throwing up, by the way, if you guys are not familiar with that term. And I remember being so curious about it. And I was like, oh, like, how did you do it? But she wasn't trying to tell me to do it. She was just like explaining her story. So there is like dangers to like talking about it because it makes people curious. We're just talking Mm -hmm. about it overarchingly. And other things I think um, is important to talk about is like the mental health aspect of like having these disorders and like mental health in general, because I think this is a topic that like a lot of men don't talk about. This is what made me so attracted to you was that you have had counseling in the past and you are so emotionally intelligent, which is so rare in humans in general but especially in men like it's Mm -hmm. very rare to find a man that is has a high eq and is like making sure he's taking the steps to help himself and it brings me to like the kanye west thing and i know we're posting this in two weeks which might like this might have passed so like this conversation so today he actually adidas finally announced that you know they're officially cutting ties with his partnership halting all sales Mm -hmm. um on the Yeezy brand and everything. They own all of the designs. And uh, yeah, Imagine one tweet losing you $600 million because he went from a billionaire to now he's now only worth $400 million. Isn't that insane? Yeah, I don't know how they calculate all that. Um, it's like a net worth thing. And net worth is 
calculated so fucking oddly because I've had articles written about myself where my net worth is $32 million. And I was like, baby, give me the money. Where is this $32 million? Maybe that's just the value. They value me at 32. 32. (sighs) I can't wait till that actually happens. (laughs) I can't wait. And by the way, it wasn't one tweet though. No, but that was the one tweet that really like started the ball. But you are very correct. Yeah, it's been like an ongoing thing with him kind of pushing the line, pushing the boundaries, saying outlandish shit. And then this recent string of interviews and him saying these anti-Semitic things and saying things that aren't even true. Like George Floyd died from fentanyl. Like it was legally proven in court that that wasn't true. Like the knee to the neck. Yeah. And anybody who's watching that video sees that guy is kneeling on his neck. For a very long time. Minutes. Like, I think it was nine minutes. Yeah. Or like eight or nine minutes. Remember? Um, so Matt and I actually marched with a BLM protest after like the George Floyd situation mm-hmm. happened. And they had us put our hands in the air for as long as George Floyd had a knee behind his neck. And I remember being like, my arms have never felt so heavy. Like, I yeah. just was like, this is such a long long amount of time and i cannot believe that happened so what kanye west said is so fucked up in so many ways because it wasn't fentanyl i couldn't even hold my arm up that long yeah like switching arms yeah Yeah, it's fucked up i feel like i'm one of those people who i haven't been like a kanye west defender but i've been someone who is like i see where he's empathetic i'm empathetic but i also understand what he's saying like i i I, not what he's saying right now but i've always understood the approach which He's taken way too far. There's been no denying that. But I've always seen what he's done and been like, he's trying to just say anything to say to not be boxed in. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And it's almost like he's a sacrifice for that. You know what I mean? He has to push the envelope so far so that he can almost like push the line further while making himself look bad and while upsetting and hurting people, which is not okay. So I don't think that that's okay at all. What are you trying to support? I'm not trying to support anything he's saying. I'm saying up until recently, now I'm like, this, I mean, this he's does always not- said some shit, but people have um, who look up to him because he is an incredible artist. You can't take that away from him. Have used that as like, oh, like he's just a crazy genius. He's just this crazy man. And it's so disheartening seeing so many people use this um, mental health issue he is struggling with as entertainment right because people who are supporting him are supporting his mental health issues and they're like he's so entertaining i love him for this for saying all this shit but like he is devolving like he is going through something mentally i don't think we can pin this on mental health anymore i think a lot of the things that he's saying are they have nothing to do with mental health now I think we've seen episodes and certain things happen um, from what it appears. Again, I don't know the man personally, so it's I'm only going off of what I see on the Internet. But is this mental health or is this just what he thinks and how he's expressing it? Because I think now it's just. Yeah. And I'm saying that's now where I feel like people are starting to draw the line about like, hey, this isn't about mental health. Like there was some form of like sympathy and empathy for him before because you're like he's having an experience like there's something going on where he needs help but now i feel like this isn't about needing help this is about what he really thinks so i don't think we should like put it in the box of like this is a mental health issue like no i think we're even further past that at this point yeah saying shit about like saying anti-semitic stuff has nothing to do with mental health 
and you know? saying white lives matter and like the whole like s- slaves chose to be slaves like no yeah. with that being said i think the people that i most feel bad for is kids because yeah they have to go through this yeah it just sucks like you know yesterday when you see you know stuff break out on the internet of like he's inciting these rallies of people being like anti-semitic, anti-Semitic and hatefulness like yeah. whenever your message is going to a place where you're igniting and giving the voice to hateful horrendous groups i think there's something that needs to be done and you have to look at that and say i don't care who this person is look what they're promoting Mm -hmm. whether they intentionally did it or not that is terrible on the 405 there was a sign that was held that says like we agree with you kanye about the jews like that's at the end of the day whatever his message is he clearly fucked up because that shit's happening and that is not okay at all I think that's a perfect time to say this is not okay what he's doing. It's not okay to have hate speech towards anyone. And with that being said, I think this was a great, great second episode of the Rotten Podcast. I really enjoyed the conversations we had in this one. But I now have a therapy appointment, so Miss Tiff is taking care of her mental health. Let's go. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we'll, we're, we're getting better for we sure. We are getting better. Yeah, so fun. I think I the tequila it. helped. Am I red at all? No. Oh, thank God. Little Miss One Hit Wonder. We'll talk about that. We need that. to talk about my one yeah, hit we'll wonders. Talk about that. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening to today's podcast. If you guys are new, make sure to subscribe, follow, comment, rate, give us those five stars, baby, because we are worth it. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye guys. Bye guys.